Hello and welcome to Pod Sequentialism. I am your host, Matt Kennedy, a production of Meltdown Comics and Collectibles on the Meltdown Network and La Luz de Jesus Gallery, Soap Plant and Wacko Superstores, and of course, the Pop, the pop Sequentialism um, Traveling Art Exhibitions. Now, my guest today is a prime example of a person who was a fan of something, and then that absolutely became what he did, but in a really, really interesting way, and I think in a way that will very much appeal to a great deal of the listenership of this program. So I'm going to introduce to everybody my friend Andy Legal. Hey. And so um, to give a little bit a little bit of setup, we don't want to bury the lead, a little bit of the setup here is that um, you were working at a comic book shop in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. And it's a shop that has two stores total, right? There's one out in the valley and there's one in Pasadena. Correct. And you were a huge fan of Valiant's relaunched comics. So you had obviously enjoyed the original run. Yes. Well, no, that's kind of the irony of this whole situation. Oh, wow. really brilliant. Yeah, uh, I I was not a fan of 90s Valiant at all. Wow. And when it came time to order Exo Manowar number one uh, at Collector's Paradise where I worked, Mm -hmm. uh, the owner was a huge fan of right. the 90s run. XO was his favorite character, Ed Greenberg is his name. And uh, he was just like, he's rushing. He's like, Andy, we're going to order. And he threw out this number for XO. And I was like, whoa. Uh, big push on this yeah, title. Like, yeah, I know yeah. you like it, but uh, I'm not a big 90s Valiant guy. But, you know, I'll sell anything, man. Like, I'll read it. And if there's something I can get behind it, you know, I'll, I'll push it hard. Sure. And, of course, it came in and I read it and I was just blown away. Yeah. And so as a result of this... As being, you were, I think, the store that was selling the biggest numbers on Valiant products, probably in in America. I think it was on the West Coast. Okay, yeah. in the West Coast. So maybe, so they say, so maybe they Midtown say. Comics is moving more. Who knows? <laughs> but um, so that's pretty interesting because I mean, if you think about, and I, I love the shop. I'm a big fan. I obviously shop there. That's where we met. Yeah. And um, you know, I'm I'm a guy. I like to spread my comic book love around. I like to hit a lot of different comic stores. I like the vibes of different places for different reasons, and I buy different types of things at different shops. And um, and you guys were really pushing the Valiant thing hard when, when it was coming out. And you ended up, of course, getting brought upstairs. Like Valiant paid attention and were like, this kid's doing a great job. Why don't we hire him? <laughs> so this is, I think, what every person who works in a comic book store wants to happen, right? They either want, they're either comic book writers or artists, and they're hoping that the right person walks in or does an in-store and they hand them their manuscript and they're like, you're a genius, let's publish you. Or you work, you're somebody who is um, a fan, who's in management, who can market, and you get a call from one of the, the big leagues and they say, okay, come on up from the miners and work for us. You know, let's take this plan and make it every comic book shop in America. So how did that unravel? Yeah, man. I mean, honestly, I wasn't even pursuing that, which mm-hmm. is crazy. It totally came out of the blue as great That's opportunities the best normally do. do. Yeah. Yep. Um, I was working at the shop. Uh, in Pasadena, yeah, and I was going on probably about four and a half years there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I was working as an assistant editor for comicbookresources.com at right. the time with Jonah, Jonah Wheeland. Right. Uh, I was working for him just short of two years, probably around there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also had started my own site just to keep busy before that opportunity came along called comicattack.net. So I was like involved from like the media side, like the fun, you know, like I'm just talking about comics, but yeah, this is, a blog. This is, this is not the short end of the pool. <laughs> you know, th- th- this is this is past that little buoy barrier, you know, in the All middle, right, right before right. you hit the deep end. <laughs> Move it along. Uh, so, so essentially, uh, <laughs> no, one time I was covering the Adventure Time panel at Comic-Con a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and the line was just huge. Yeah, we did a signing, actually, at, at um, La Luz de Jesus for Adventure Time, and it was 
the biggest event I think we had had since Brandon Boyd did a signing there like 10 years it. earlier. Yeah, this was like probably 2013. So yeah. it was like really Right super at the height hot. of it, yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm here like two hours early and the line is, I'm not getting in to cover this. Yeah. So I went to the Boom booth to speak with publisher Philip Sablik. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, hey, Philip, any chance I can get in the panel? He was like, no, but, <laughs> and uh, he basically offered me a, a job with Boom nice. as a, an event coordinator. And yeah, and I'd just known Philip from doing signings at the store. Mm-hmm. At that time, he was publisher of Top Cow. Yeah. Uh, really brilliant man. And uh, he actually pulled someone from behind the counter. He, we're taping here at Meltdown Comics and Collectibles, and he pulled one of the guys from the counter here to work at Boom. Right on. So it was like at the very, very beginning. Yeah. And I remember seeing that guy quite a bit at some of the um, in stores that I would come to here at yeah, the Grand Morrison stuff. I believe it was. Stuff. I believe there were two Matt Gagnon and um, Chris Rosa. Chris, yep. Yeah. Yep, yeah. known Chris for years. Yeah, yep. great guys, oh. awesome dudes. Yeah, both guys are great. Yeah. Uh, if Matt's listening, go Kings, go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but uh, yeah, um, so that just kind of happened, and then uh, Valiant uh, was paying attention. There was someone over there that was really advocating for me, and Dinesh, mm-hmm. the CCO, shopped in the Pasadena store as well. Right. I just knew him as the guy that came in and spent like four hundred bucks on hardcovers. Yeah. The other guy. <laughs> the other guy. <laughs> the other guy that wasn't me. <laughs> but like, I mean, I would only show him good stuff that I liked. But yeah, you know, it's like, hey, if you like it in soft cover, maybe you'll want the HD version. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, well, I prefer it because it's easier storage. Totally. You know, as somebody who's worked in book sales, you know, as part of the gallery, that you understand that a hardcover just it has a better shelf life. It wears better. Dust can completely destroy. A soft cover. Yes, it can. Yeah, you know that warps it, and gets into the glue and the whole nine yeah, yards. It's no fun. But um, so and Dinesh is a pretty interesting story in and of himself because he was a fan, obviously of of the, a big fan of the '90s Valiant run and saved it. Yeah, yeah. They, essentially, long story short, the IPs went up for auction in the early uh, early 2000s, mm-hmm. and he found out about it because someone posted on the Valiant fans message bo- message board. So even when a claim went under, mm-hmm. uh, their fans are still keeping it alive, right? You know, and Dinesh is one of those guys. There's a photo of Dinesh in the back of a Valiant comic from his birthday. He's got a Valiant birthday cake. They like wow. published the photo in the comic, right? So anyway, he wow. goes to the auction, and I believe he lost, as the story goes, at first, and mm-hmm. then something happened, and it defaulted back down to him so we won it yeah and then he just spent you know all those years putting together the right plan and doing it right and came back in 2012 now which were the titles that fell outside of the sale yes uh magnus solar and turok right right and those were all those were all video game titles that acclaim had launched i believe they were uh the gold key but yeah, yeah. Oh, their right. main usage yes. in, in their relaunch why they, they were games. annexed is that they had licensed deals that in i place. don't know i have yeah. no idea i don't know the politics or the logistics and of that end of it behind that yeah so, um, so bring me up to speed. How long has it been now since you've been not at the comic shop, but working for Valiant? Working for Valiant almost two years, actually. Wow. Yeah. And outside of the shop, about three, three years. Wow. I was a little over a year at Boom. Right, right. And so now, what what can people look forward to now? Um, right before we sat down, I heard some pretty amazing news. And it's that Exo Man of War... Um, you guys just published the one millionth copy of the relaunched Exo Manowar. Yeah, just printed it. Just came off the press. Wow. They were uh, they were down there. If you check out at Valiant Comics on mm-hmm. Twitter, there's a whole bunch of uh, video and footage from it. They had Robert Venditti down there, the writer of the series of Exo. Dinesh yeah. was down there. Fred yeah. Pierce, our publisher, was down there. Yeah. Um, Josh Johns, our marketing, our digital guy, our marketing guy was down there. Hunter Gorenson. So. 
it's, cool. it's pretty it's pretty it's, great like, it's a it's still yeah. a big milestone it's funny because we were talking and you know in the early 90s that right before the collapse of the comic industry or the um i guess the second great collapse um you know it was routine for comics to be publishing one to three million copies of successful independent you know even independent titles you know like at image when image was relaunched you, you know you read about the the ten, the seven to ten million copies of Spawn number one, or the the five to seven million copies of the um, the relaunched X Men at Marvel, and we kind of, if you think of those numbers, you've been away too long, because it's not unusual for a title that's that's publishing two thousand units a month to be considered successful, and if you're hitting twenty five thousand, you are a runaway success. So to aggregate one million published issues of a title is at this point in the game a very very big deal it's pretty great it would be a big deal at marvel for any of their titles yeah and when uh issue 50 does come out of exo man war yeah. uh, just in, a, in a, almost a little over a month now mm-hmm. uh that will be i believe aside from scott snyder's batman like one of the one of the longest running runs by a single writer on a, on a book in in the modern era for sure yeah, yeah, yeah i the think the, the the stanley lantern and... well stanley jack kirby 110 or 111 issues mm-hmm. of fantastic four um i guess that's a controversial subject you know <laughs> is does stanley's name well. really belong on that but um yeah i mean and then there was yeah then it's then it's green lantern i think so there's there's a it's not often that 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 becomes the case and i think it's it's a a big Big kudos to the artist because that's usually who falls behind. You know that the scripts are done well in advance, and you know the writer can move on and do ten other projects at the same time. And it really boils down to feedback with the artists. So, who are the big stars now at 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 the the relaunch Valiant? Like, who are the people that are, get the biggest rush of fans at the at the conventions? Um, the people whose artwork seems to be the most sought, and who are the real headline writers? Oh yeah, I mean we we have a great stable. I mean we have Jeff Lemire right now. Uh, he's going to be writing Bloodshot USA. Jeff Lemire is you know yeah yeah yeah. Uh, Bloodshot USA is coming out in October, um, but he's also written the Valiant for us. Co- he's mm-hmm. co-written that with Matt Kent. Yeah. Um, that was Jeff's first book with us. Uh, also, Jeff has been writing every issue of Bloodshot Reborn, yeah. uh, which is on I believe seventeen uh, is about to come out. Wow. So yeah. Uh, so there's him. Uh, also, Matt Kent, of course. Yeah. Uh, he's been writing Ninjak. Yeah. Uh, he writes Divinity for us, which is a big one. Yeah. Um, Divinity 3, Stalinverse, is coming out in December. It's really rad. Nice. Uh, yeah, totally. Obviously, Robert writing all these issues of EXO. Yeah. Uh, Jody Hauser is writing Faith for us right now, mm-hmm. which is phenomenal. Wow. Um, and Josh Dysart, who wrote the Harbinger run preceding everything leading up with her. So this is a kind of amazing assembly. And as far as like people on a roster, it's comparable to Marvel right before everybody split. I mean, like the <laughs> the the type of talent that is at Valiant right now are they are all kind of flagpole names. And it's interesting because I think that a lot of people who really only think about that kind of Marvel and DC thing and maybe read one or two titles don't understand how completely interwoven the Valiant universe is, but yes. that you can also still just enjoy a single title, Absolutely. which is impossible to do in the Marvel <laughs> universe. Like it's just not engineered that way anymore. And I like, you know, I like when things cross over, but I like the fact that if you don't want to go and read 
you know, an obscure issue of a comic that you're not following. And then to, in order to get up to speed on that, go back and read a bunch of back issues. I like that you can pick up and move on with something. And then if you really like it, you can go back and dig back and, and find it. And I like the idea of story arcs that go four to six issues with maybe a larger arc behind it. And that seems to be the Valiant Mold. Like you can do your four to six issues and follow that and be like, oh, wow. And then you can just pick up and be like, oh, this I'm only it's only two two issues into this story, so I can go back and pick up those back issues and start because I like this. And you're not lost. You're not just like thrown into a free fall of not knowing what the hell is going on. And I've always said that, you know, the new continuity which was developed to I mean, in theory, to make it a more uh, cohesive universe and more enjoyable does go back to the early 60s at Marvel, but it went bananas at DC in the kind of post-crisis universe. Mm-hmm. And then Marvel's like, oh, well, we we did this, so we're going to do it better <laughs> slash worse. And you, the Civil Wars and everything else that have happened. Um, so I, I appreciate what Valiant is doing in, in moving stories forward with the right team, but that each team can kind of do their own thing. Like, there, there doesn't have to be a single architect that says... Oh, you can't you can't do this because I've got plans for this to happen with these seventeen other titles in a month. Oh, totally. And like, I mean, to to kind of piggyback off that, yeah, I mean, a lot of our characters' first appearance isn't necessarily their self-titled issue number one. Like, right. Ninjak's first appearance in the New Valiant Universe was Exo Manowar number five, right. as written by Robert Venditti. But of course, Matt Kent is now almost up to issue twenty of his mm-hmm. ongoing. And wrote him in Unity, uh, which is kind of like our Avengers book. Right, right. But yeah, I mean, I love that you, you've picked up on that because the whole universe is one big shared universe. Yeah. And like you can pick up any of the titles. We only do anywhere from seven to ten a month, and that is our whole universe. Yeah. So like as a consumer, you're talking like anywhere from, I mean, the occasional zero, but mm-hmm. that's rare. Like, But usually anywhere from one to three books a week. Max. Which is a wonderful breakaway from 90s value. Yeah. <laughs> and probably one of the reasons why you didn't like those titles <laughs> in the early 90s. And, um, you know, when Gaston Dominguez, who's the owner of, of Meltdown Comics and Collectibles, and we were roommates when I, soon when I first moved out to California. I didn't know 90s. that. Yeah, yeah. Helped build the original Meltdown across the street. What? Um, shot their first commercial. Like the whole night. We, oh, that was, a, that was a fun butt of history Yeah, right yeah there. <laughs> we're intertwined. There's, there's a lot of that. Uh, Jim of Food, when I had him on, he's like, God, he's like, I didn't know this and this and this. And, and you know, it was great because I've, I've known Jim for years, but we never had a chance to kind of sit down and, and talk, you know, talk turkey. And, um, and when the Valiants were coming out, we went and picked up a box of... Exo Man of War Zero, I think it was, the 90s run, and it was all the Gold Corner comics. So we just put them out for cover price at the shop that we worked at back then called Fantastic <laughs> Store. And um, and no one knew. It wasn't like people were in there buying them. And then someone came in and was like, oh, I think that's actually like a, a 50 or, or a $30 comic. Hey. You know? And then like in two weeks, it was a $60 comic. That's a $30 comic. Excellent. And uh, <laughs> he just reached over and pointed at the um, the Ashcan Edition, um, super exclusive Britannia, and uh, number one, which is a Pete Milligan title. I mean, people who listen to the show know how much I love Pete Milligan. Um, I've, I'm the, one of those people that will say that Shade the Changing Man was the best um, comic of the 1990s. I'll put it ahead of Sandman. And my, my reasoning is this, that um, there's no doubting the skills of Neil Gaiman as a writer. The characters are amazing. Goth is a really easy easy sell in that, in that format, especially when you're only telling um, anthology stories with a wraparound with a character, which is really what Sandman is. He appears in a couple of story runs 
early, you know, the first six issues or so, and then he kind of pops in here and there it's to remind you that it's a Sandman comic, but they're really the dreams. Yeah, he's, And that's he's why people love it. Peripheral at that point. Because yeah. it wasn't a cape book. Yeah. Um, it's a lot harder to sustain one group of characters, you know, completely unrelieved for the run that Milligan did on Shade the Changing Man. And it's it was it was amazing. It was really well done, and, and I loved the Bacello art, and I liked all the stuff that followed. And you know, the first guest on the program was Brendan McCarthy, and um, you know, I go back with Brendan twenty five years or so. But um, so I'm really looking forward to reading this. I just I can't say enough good things about. Yeah, I hope Pamillion. you dig it, man. Like I mean, this one in a sentence, it's uh, history's the world's first paranormal detective. Nice. Ancient Rome. Um, there's no other Valiant characters that show up in this in this miniseries. Wow. Uh, it, it is part of the Valiant universe, but it other than that, it's brand new characters, brand new corner of it. Uh, Juan Jose Rip on art. Yeah. So it's it's pretty rated R. Nice. Just throwing it out there. Jordy yeah. Heller doing colors. <laughs> right when you give it, he's like, this is dark. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, uh, Mason, my engineer, was like, but good, but good. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. And I was like, you, you had me at dark. Yeah. You had me at it's. Yeah. But um, so what else is in, in store for us at Valiant? I mean, there's the, because you're hitting issue 50 now at Exo Man yeah. War, I mean, this is when people who weren't paying attention now have to. Absolutely. And like and, you look and, back and say, there's, I can get invested in this now. This and, is this is not a fly-by-night operation. And if you haven't read XO at all, I mean, we, so, I mean, you were touching on this earlier. You can pretty much jump in mm-hmm. in any arc, any, like, issue. We we pay it. We are com- a company of comic fans. Yes. You know, and we understand that we have a shared continuity and how daunting that can seem to somebody. Yeah. But believe me when I say, like, every single one of our books is totally different than, than the one beside it. Yeah. And it's a totally different creative team. It's a totally diff- different vibe. And while everything is a shared universe, the tone of, of whatever book you're reading is, is not going to taste the same. I do like, again, you know, in, in, in comparing it to like 60s Marvel, that mm-hmm. there is that kind of feel like those books that were coming out in the early days at Marvel, you know, when they went from long running anthology titles that had been at Timely and became superhero, they started introducing the superheroes and they became their own books, that um, when those books got their own titles, if you saw those on the newsstand, and of course I didn't see them until the 70s, but I imagine seeing that handful of titles on the newsstand was just profoundly impactful in that everything was different. And Kirby was drawing you know, more than half of them, and Ditko was drawing a couple, but that the line, you knew they were Marvel comics, but the line look wasn't a um, an all-encompassing thing for what the product was. So Thor was different than... The Hulk mm-hmm. was different from Doctor Strange, was different from Spider-Man. Uh, the Avengers were different than the Fantastic Four, that each character had its own voice. And um, when a few of the series came back out from Valiant, when you started getting all the titles out in their new number ones, and um, and I guess you say that um, Ninjak's on number what now? Almost on 20. I want to say it's like 17 or 18 right now. So this is fabulous because if you look at all those comics side by side on the rack, you do get the understanding that they are completely different titles with a completely different take on genre and storytelling that if you do like one, you're probably going to like the others, but not inherently so. They all have their individual voice. It is its own universe. But each piece is its own piece, and you can just carry on with that if yeah, you want. Yeah, and even if you don't like one necessarily, like just let's just say you know you're not like a romance or a supernatural horror fan, so you probably mm-hmm. won't dig Death Defying Doctor Mirage. Mm-hmm. But there's still no appreciating, like there's still no denying and appreciating like 
the artistic yeah. quality that's gone into it and the work that's gone into it. And that's a big departure a bit from, you know, the Valiant Universe in, in the early 90s, that there were big names working on those Valiant comics, but they weren't doing their best work. They were doing a line look. And everything at Valiant now is it's individual. These comics have their own looks. It's not this same kind of washed color. Like they're all their own thing. Mm-hmm. And that's important in, in creating a believable and viable um, universe, but even just a, a good and solid and satisfying product. So I thank you for that. We're going to take our first break to hear a little message from our sponsors. But um, when I get back, we're going to talk a little bit more with Andy Legal about um, transitioning from a fan to a professional and uh, what else we can expect from the the rebranded and amazing Valiant. So uh, we'll be right back after these words. Hello and welcome back to Pod Sequentialism. I'm your host Matt Kennedy, and I have with me Andy Legal, who is a friend of mine who works at a he worked at a comic book shop in Pasadena that I used to frequent, and then um, as is the dream of many comic book fans, uh, became a professional, and um, and it's a it's it's an amazing story, but um, more proof that you know if if you stand by the product that you read and you are a good advocate for stuff that you enjoy, then you're going to impact the world around you, not only by the by the measure of that they'll have more in common with the people that come into the shop and you can talk about stuff and that makes the job a lot easier, but that when your numbers spike, the, um, the publishers pay attention. And so anybody who's doing a good job at a comic book shop, you too can be rewarded with a, a, a prime position at, a, at a, cor- a company that you love producing comic books. So uh, welcome back, Andy. Thanks. And um, we're talking about you know the fact that uh, the New Valiant is such a great... Um, sort of collection of single things that also function together. What um, What's new? What's coming down the pike? I mean, we're looking at, I'm looking at a copy of Britannia right here, and that's definitely a little bit different. It's a mini-series that's in the Valiant universe, but a bit outside of the current continuity. Are there plans to um, expand with more characters? What can you talk about? Sure, some yeah, of this stuff yeah. Is hush-hush. No, I'll run it down quick, uh, cool. as fast as I can. So Faith, uh, that just came out in July, Faith mm-hmm. number one. Um, later uh, in in August uh, this month, we have a book coming out called Generation Zero, mm-hmm. uh, number one, which is Fred Van Lente writing that one. Mm-hmm. Um, what do we know Fred from? Uh, he did an awesome, incredible, well, he's done a lot of stuff. My favorite thing he's done mm-hmm. uh, is his incredible Hercules run okay. with uh, Herc and Amadeus Cho. Right on. And then with Hulk as well. Right, um, right. Yeah, it's just pretty great. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> uh, but aside from our stuff, of course. Mm-hmm. But Generation Zero, uh, long story short, it's a bunch of, of teens who are psyots, which are kind of like uh, super-powered kids. Think of Sayat can kind of be synonymous with mutant. Mm-hmm. Different way the powers are activated. Enhanced. Enhanced sure. humans. Enhanced humans, yes, mm-hmm. with abilities. Mm-hmm. And these kids were trained as like military weapons by mm-hmm. this this corrupt organization. Mm-hmm. And then they broke free. This all happened in Harbinger Wars, a book we put out back in 2013. Right on. And we really haven't seen them since then. So now they're getting their own series. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of like basically like... You've seen some weird, crazy stuff in your town. No one believes you. Call Generation Zero. Right. And they they have like a hotline that kids and like, you know, young teens and young adults call mm-hmm. and they'll pick one and answer it. So that's that's the story of Gen Zero. That's cool. It's a little bit Ghostbusters. It's a little bit Norlis tapes for yeah. people who remember Norlis tapes. Or like maybe like Runaways meets like Heroes for Hire in a right, way. Right, right, yeah. right. That's cool. But, and um, so that's that's bringing back somebody that we saw a little bit not too long ago. And again, I like the fact that things kind of go away and they come back and they come back with great fanfare. Um, that almost never happens at the big well, two. It's also it's also always like the transition of the characters, which mm-hmm. is why I really love it. And as like a sales manager at the company now, why mm-hmm. I really do believe in the books, right? And love to sell them. Honestly, I mean, I'm just kind of doing 
what I did in the shop, just one line of comics instead yeah. of all of them. <laughs> right, right. But um, it is really cool that it's just always the progression of those characters. Yeah. And, you know, a book called Harbinger Renegades, which we're coming out with in November, mm-hmm. will have a different cast than Harbinger, which was the book we did a couple of years ago that ended. Right, right. Um, so that is another book we have coming out, Harbinger Renegades. This is probably one of our biggest ones coming mm-hmm. out for the rest of the year. It's out in November. Uh, it's the return of the Harbinger team, the Renegades. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Pete Stanchek, Torque, Faith, uh, Chris Hathaway, and then another surprise character. She's on the the, the cover art. You can see it already if you Google it. But um, we're gonna make you look it up. It's uh yeah yeah. It's <laughs> Rafer Roberts writing, mm-hmm. but art is by uh, is also by uh, Derek Robertson. Wow wow. Yeah. So you're talking about someone who comes out of the the um the Grant Morrison world. Oh yeah. And then of course m- most widely known probably for um for Transmetropolitan. You know, back in the day. And I know him for The Boys. Yeah, yeah. Which was awesome. Have yeah. you read The Boys? So re- oh, of course I have. Yeah, you know, so it's crazy. Garth Ennis. Garth Ennis is, is a, a great source of controversy in in, uh, in my world. Um, I've loved and hated in equal measure a lot of what I've seen him do. And I like that. I like that you can totally love something and totally hate something by the same person with almost the same ingredients. <laughs> you know, but it's like... You know, you can have the same ingredients, and if you change the um, the portion or if you change the temperature, it's a different thing. So, you know, if there's too much sugar and not enough chocolate chips or if there's salt instead of sugar, um, my analogy is dumbfounding everybody <laughs> right now. But, um, you know, so when I – like Transmetropolitan, I love the artwork, and, and the story would, would hit me or not hit me. And, um, you know, I like, I like that author's work, and I really love Planetary. But um, and on the boys again, I loved I loved the artwork, and I thought the boys was a little too extreme for oh, me. Oh, so extreme! With um, with with um, with the well, the sexual assault, I guess is it's probably the, the. It's, it's, it's crass, very very crass. But it is a great satire of a uh, superhero. Yeah, I will say though that I did prefer um, Rick Veach's take on that, with, okay. like Rat Pack, sure, which is just as cynical, but a little bit less um, frat boy. Sure. I guess is the way to say it. But I understand the appeal, and I understand that maybe the audience that found it wasn't the intended audience, which, I mean, you know, like everybody who wore a Nirvana shirt wasn't necessarily as enlightened well, as we I would believe, hope. wasn't The Boys published first under Marvel's imprint, and then it went to Dynamite? I'm not sure. That sounds about right. I'm not sure. Yeah. But um, But, yeah, it was, and, you know, they created Dynamite as kind of a vanity label, and then they did the same thing with IDW. But um, it'd be great to see Derek... Um, you know, back on a monthly series because yeah, so stuff's incredible. Harbinger. Yeah, it's, so that that's a that's when you think of his work, you automatically think of a certain thing. So I mean, does that mean that Harbinger is going to be pretty dark? Well, it's kind of dark already in a way. Yeah, um, but I mean, the thing about our universe that kind of makes it—I mean, I don't want to say it just makes it dark because Faith is definitely not, A and A definitely isn't. Like we mm-hmm. have comedy books like Quantum and Woody too, and mm-hmm. romance books. But I mean. It is set in the real world in reality. Yeah. So the natural world itself, while it's awesome and fun, and it's also pretty dark. Yeah. So, I mean, most of our characters, I would say, aside from Faith and maybe Archer, mm-hmm. um, most of our other characters are pretty moral gray. Yeah. Like, they all try to do their best and to do what they believe is good, but at the same time, they're it's like, is Magneto a bad guy? Right. You know? like I mean, especially now, Magneto. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. Is Wolverine a bad guy, really? Right, right. <laughs> and yeah, you can you can kind of go down the list with anybody who isn't so, a Boy Scout. I, I think not even Superman is a Boy Scout yeah, anymore. Yeah, but I so. mean, more more to the point, like Magneto, though. It's yeah, like, he's done some messed up stuff, but he's had he has a history. A yeah. lot of our characters are very moral gray. So in that regard, it is very dark. Just in 
of in and of what it is. But one of our first characters we killed off in the universe of significance was in Harbinger. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it dark? (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. I mean, it's awesome. (laughs) Is it poignant? Is it poignant is a good question. So that's that's a pretty full schedule. Um, Now, aside from the new titles and things, you you go to a lot of the conventions. Yeah, yeah. So you've, and that's actually, we've, uh, for for those who don't know, um, I think this is, this is an interview that has taken five times to try and set up, like just because the scheduling and yeah. just weird stuff happens. Um, you know, I, my engineer got sick. You got called back on the road. Yeah. Um, you also have a family, <laughs> you know, so there's that stuff. Um, but the um, what do you think when you go out and you hit conventions? What have you noticed? Because um, there's differences when you go as a fan and even when you go as a professional who works in a shop. And and you were obviously with um, comic book resources, and you guys had that boat for a little while yeah, outside the yacht, and back of the, that was that, that, that was, was sick. Awesome. That was great back in San Diego. But um, when you go with a company, it's a different thing, and you have a different agenda, so you see things in a different way. Mm-hmm. What's changed for you? Well, it's crazy. Like I never went to cons as a fan, um, so you know my perspective. I mean, I see a lot of fans. Obviously, I yeah. Mean, for a perspective, I kind of do. Oh man, I plan a lot of shows, but I probably attend. And at the high end, like 17 to 20 a year. That's the, a lot. At the high end. That's a lot. Probably closer to about 15. It's more realistic. Yeah. I would say it's possible if you count more local ones as well. Yeah. When, um, I, was in, when I was in DVD, I think I hit, I didn't hit that many. I might have hit, oh, I guess maybe like 17 might have been. But that's like events total, not, not, not necessarily cons or trade shows. Sure. Yeah. 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 And that's hectic. It, it's crazy. And I mean, I'd say we, I think Valiant this year in 2016, mm-hmm. counting, not counting just like an exhibit setup, but also doing panels. Right. Uh, I think we have 36 or 37 appearances. That's really, that's amazing. Um, and because that sends a message, if, if a company like Valiant is setting up at 36 different events a year, then there are 30, at least 36 events that are deemed important enough in the hobby that a company like Valiant has to attend them. And like, I think as fans, if you don't travel and you don't know, like I'm on the West Coast. So I know San Diego Comic-Con, I know Kamikaze, mm-hmm. I know WonderCon, you know, um, there's the the Seattle Comic Convention, which is is, is relatively Emerald new. Emerald City Comic-Con. Yeah. It's a fantastic show. And then there's Mile High in um, in Colorado, there was. Oh, there, there's a Denver Comic-Con there yeah. now, yeah. And then... Wizard World was in Chicago, and then you had Dragon Con in Atlanta, New York Comic Con, Boss Con. And to me, that was the world, you know, like, and I wasn't going to hit all of them. And then there's also things like Gen Con that are more like gamer conventions. It's just that Gen Con. It's awesome. Yeah, it is pretty awesome, Dude, actually. now there are... And now any... Blizzard's doing its own con, so... Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, Blizzard is doing its own convention, so there's the BlizzCon, and then there's Gen Con, and they're two different things. So, like, all the old TSR guys, Dungeons & Dragons guys... Gen Con is kind of their jam, it's but tabletop and yeah. yeah, but it's still, but it's everything. It's like Dragon Con is, yeah. you know, Dragon Con I think got the reputation as being the first really big cosplay con. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, when I think cosplay con, I don't think anything compares. Yeah, well, Anime Expo. Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. And then I guess which I'm we left more out like comics. Too. Yeah, 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 we, yeah, we left yeah. that Anime Expo in that in that yeah, that in, bar in of necessities. Yeah. But, Always the first weekend in July, I believe. I think so. Yeah, and it, you know it's moved around a bit and now. Like the LA Convention Center is becoming the home to almost everything that isn't that's local that isn't San Diego Comic Con. Well, took WonderCon back to Anaheim. Yeah, next year. I like it in Anaheim actually. Totally. 
you know the um i like the fact that it was close to it gives you an excuse to go to disneyland if you want to do that <laughs> yes it does yeah although i stopped really digging on on california adventureland when they started serving alcohol in the park and i mean it's it, not that i don't drink i do but um i got used to seeing like parents on vacation that had that bedraggled look you know, hey, in the ride, I, I can relate to that. I know, but you know, <laughs> but swinging back and forth because they had too many drinks, you're kind of afraid they're gonna vomit or something. Uh, and it, I was like, oh, it's not comfortable. Yeah, what, yeah. The, it's not the happiest place on earth. Uh, yeah. But um, what are the other shows like? I mean, 36 shows—that's a ton. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's 36 planned. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's crazy. I mean, it's a grind, no doubt. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, we're we're so new, and you know, we have a great opportunity right now to garner a fellowship of new fans. Yeah. And, you know, that's our primary focus. Well, that's a smart thing, too. That's investing in the fans at a really grassroots level in a lot of places because you have to. Our fans are the best. Our yeah. fans are absolutely phenomenal. Um, like, it's it's pretty – it's a rewarding thing to, like, work at the booth and, you know – it's like walking into yeah. you know when you're running the store and like a customer like you walks in you're like oh yeah. hey what's up you know yeah, it's regulars yeah. you know and it's it's a good time cue, cue the replacement song the regulars <laughs> but um yeah the I mean that's that's kind of the the fun of it I suppose and and they do become a grind and it is kind of hard to put on a happy face all the time it shows but I mean with with Valiant and I guess because you're new but not new and because even in new but not new that there's you haven't made a big mistake yet. You know, like, I mean, like every every big oh, wow. publisher has made a major, major mistake where they've done something that drive fans completely crazy. And you haven't had that yet. And I guess that's like, you, you think at a certain point that, you you know, it has to happen. It's, it's going to happen. But um, knock on wood, you know, yeah. that um, it hasn't happened yet. And so you are somebody that they're happy to see. It's like, oh, my God, Valiant's here. And I, I guess in some of these shows, if you're doing 36 a year, are not major, major shows. So the fact that fans can have contact with a publisher of your magnitude in a smaller show has to be, you know, that hearts and minds thing that everybody wants. I mean, that that is such goodwill to go out and do the smaller shows. And I, I'm not, you know, back in the day, there was like the Mid-Ohio Con was huge. Like the Mid-Ohio Con is the, is the convention where Dave Sim pulled up in a limo and called the entire creative team from Swamp Thing downstairs <laughs> and said, yeah, I just wanted to show you what the DC executives, how they got to the hotel today. Oh. And he, he planted the seed that you guys all need to be self-publishing because... I can afford this. And Dave Sim was a rock star back then, you know, and um, and now Gerhard is going to be working on a, um, a run of heavy metal. We had the publisher, you know, the co-CEO um, here on, on the show last week. Nice. And, um, and he was talking about, you know, having, you know, some of these amazing, being able to work with these amazing people. And, you know, they, they've got all the reins are off because they can do complete adult material and it's in a magazine. It's a whole different format, but it's still the same game. It's still the comic book game. And so with, with building a continuity and building a universe and, and assembling the talent that you've assembled, you know, what's what's the dream? Like if you were to, to handpick somebody who's not working on, on a Valiant title right now and be like, you know, I would really love to see this person do this, who would that be? Whether oh, it's a man. writer or an artist. I don't want to say it because then I'll tank it. Oh, right? right? Yeah, because well, then, then they want more money, I guess. Right? <laughs> no, no. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Well, I can tell you like some of my favorite artists out there right now. I'm a big, big Big fan of uh, IDW's Turtles Run. Yeah, uh, I love Sophie Campbell's art. Yeah, um, I think her stuff is phenomenal. I love what she did in Glory. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
that was an awesome run. I really like Mateus Santaluoco as well. Mm-hmm. I know they're drawing anthropomorphs here, but yeah. uh, they they can draw their things, and I think they're very, very talented. I yeah. love their stuff. Um, oh, my gosh. Uh, obviously, I mean, cliche answer. I love Fiona Staples' stuff in Saga, yeah. but yeah. holy cow, that would be rad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. Um, it's got to be a labor of love. I mean, the, the thing about the, the model at Image, of course, is that you pitch a title and you, you pay – to, to box it, complete it, and they, they kind of distribute it for you, and they collect money, and they give you a check. I mean, as I understand it, and I'm, I'm sure that there are people who have a different deal, and certainly that writer had a history, so um, you think that maybe he didn't have to go through those hoops. But for um, but the way that it gets packaged, the fact that she's only working on one book, not that that isn't daunting, because, I mean, we've certainly seen a lot of artists who can do, like, six issues in a row, and they're like, oh, I need relief. I can't, oh, six issues, you know. Some of my favorite artists actually who who tend to get like maybe that far into it and then they disappear. But um that I'm surprised that nobody's lured her away except that it's one of the best products out there. And I'll say that even though I didn't really get into it. And you guys were you were like, you gotta read Saga. Like you were the person I think who gave me so you're like, you know what? Probably. If you don't like this, I'll buy it back from you. If nothing else, you should have bought it because it's like a hundred bucks now. I know. And and and, in, <laughs> and graded it's like twelve hundred. But um but I, I know I read it now. I was just I couldn't I couldn't get into it because I think it's twenty pages. Like I I'm having a problem with the format of twenty pages now. You know, like it used when I first started reading comics, it was thirty two pages, and it was enough I thought to tell a story. So now I wait until one, two, three, four, five issues pile up, and then I blow through them. I'm the guy that I will binge watch the new season of whatever on Netflix sure. in one night. I don't know how people watch Breaking Bad. On, on a week episode, season. I used to I lose. Have I have no idea to, how people could you have see done my that. fingernails. I mean, like this like, is from Stranger Things for crying out loud. And the next episode was right here. Yeah. You know, I was like, it hit was it was enter. But um, when I was watching Breaking Bad, it, it was I had no fingernails. I don't like know I how. would lose I, my I, mind. I I watched. I binge watched all the way through yeah. all six seasons. So I jumped on right when the second half of season six. Yeah. The final season, I believe it was season six. Whatever the last half is, half of the season was of the series. Yeah. I was like, how did you people watch this over the course? It was nerve wracking. It was nerve wracking. Possible. But I'm I'm kind of the same way, and it's like. I didn't read the Brian Michael Bendis run in Daredevil as it was coming out monthly. And so I have a very different take of it than people who did. I got it as an omnibus and I was like, I was told repeatedly, oh, you know, it's like, this is better than Frank Miller. I'm like, the hell it is. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I read, I'm like, okay, this is better than Frank Miller. And then someone's like, oh, then you're really going to like the next run because that's even better than Bendis. I'm like, no, it's, there's no way it's better than Bendis. And you read it and it, you know, it's, it's Ed Brubaker. And I'm like, okay, this is better than Bendis. See, like, I've what's never read on? either <sighs> Bendis or Brubaker run. Now, here's the, here's the funny thing to like yeah. bring it back to the conversation. It's, it's a transition thing. Mm-hmm. So when you go from a fan to working in a comic shop, you read less. You read, Actually, you I read, read more. a hell of a lot more. That's I was right, reading like 40 read bucks, books a week. That's and right. If you're not reading comics and working in a comic shop, what is wrong with you? Right, Give no. that job to someone else who would do it better. That's right. If, you're working, <laughs> if you work in a comic book shop, you read more. And then if you work in industry, you read less. Yeah, and, correct. And because if you, you own a comic more. shop, you're going to read less too yeah. if you own one. But my point is, is that there will come a point when you're working in a comic shop, when you realize you've been working there for a little while, mm-hmm. and not, like, which is awesome, but you'll be like, yeah, wow, I really don't have to read that series because I can just sell it or it just sells itself so well. Yeah. Like, th- like that was me with Bendis and Brubaker's uh, Daredevil run. It was just flying off the I racks. Just, I just didn't have, I was yeah. like, I, it's on my list. It's always on my list, but I'm reading 40 books a week, at yeah. least one trade a week. And I'm like, well, I don't really have to read it right now because right. I don't, 
it sells you, itself. And you know it's going to get republished. And I know how to sell it or hand sell it. Yeah. Yeah. And the the bigger thing too is that you knew you had time. Like some some series, you don't know if they're going to last. Sure. And so if you miss it, you miss it, Nowadays, and then you got to find back much issues. Keep it in print for the most part. Pretty much everything. Or you, now you can you can buy digital comics, which is totally. great. Totally. But the um, what I I did talk to people who were re- who didn't enjoy it, and they were reading it monthly, and they were just like, it was just it was too much for me mm-hmm. that. You didn't see Daredevil in a costume sure. for nine am months. Am I reading Daredevil? Yeah, am I reading Daredevil? Yeah, is this a gangster a comic? Trade, yeah, it's, it's different. It's right there, and um, and I do understand those differences. I was reading The Watchmen monthly when that was coming out as a new comic. Dang. And you'd go back and you'd read the entire series from issue one to whatever issue just came out uh-huh. to see if there were clues that you were missing, little you know sigils in the back corners of the pages. Um, which I think became a regular thing for people who are reading Grant Morrison's later work. But that that Alan Moore comic, The Watchmen, his Batman run. Yeah, it's filled with symbolism. It's yeah. crazy. Um, th- there's more in back of the story than there is in the surface. <laughs> but but that became kind of what Moore did on his um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. That I read that comic and I'm like, why do people love this so much? This is pretty on the nose. And then you realize that the comic is however long it is, but then the descriptions of what's in the comic are five times that you're really you have to read that other stuff to really get, you get the, the work out ones? of it. Um I di- I didn't read the last run that came out. Okay. I after the third series there was like a really long delay and then I just kind of didn't get back into it and and I I used to before I'd be you know I'd be Johnny on the spot but I had been burned a couple times by Alan Moore. Big numbers. You know, did number 4 ever come out? Did that series ever end? I I still tease Bill Sankevich about that. But um <laughs> you know that if 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 it isn't going to come out, if it's going to stop, what can you do? I will say this about Valiant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we hold the record about this, uh, which is very, uh, I think is phenomenal. It's a point of pride. It very much is. We are the only, well, we we have, as a publisher, never put out a single, single issue comic late. Yeah. Ever. We have it's not important. shipped a single book late. And, it's absolutely important. Yeah. And especially for shops that have subscription services. Oh, yeah. I mean, it kills sales. Yeah. You know, and then the way that Marvel was trying to get around stuff is by doing that doubling up where it was every two weeks. DC's doing that right now. Yeah. I, I think that's a really bad idea. I, I just don't think that. And what will happen, too, is that at a certain point, if you, as a collector, if you've got a lot of comics waiting for you at the comic book stop, if you get to that point where too many comics get in your hold bin, you may quit comics. You may just quit reading. Because you, you got to quit cold turkey. Yeah. It's hard to make cuts. Yeah. I was looking at my list the other day. That's what I'm talking I about. I it down to 20. Yeah, see? <laughs> I was like, oh, can I just <laughs> throw in the towel? 32-year-old man. I was like, no, I can't do it. Got to go digital. Got to <laughs> go digital. Oh, my gosh. Still monetarily is the same, so might as well get the hard copy, right? I suppose. Well, uh, well, there's also the the all-you-can-eat plan, right? There's like you can just subscribe. That's not new. Is it new? I mean, it's it's been around. Yeah. Um, but I mean, and... I mean new like releases. Oh, like are they keeping up on the new releases yeah. or is it just from that point back? That I don't know. I'm not sure. I got to look into that. I should know this. I yeah. should have that answer. A question for another time. <laughs> well, I think we'll wrap it up there, Andy. Um, show, shout me out some um, some websites, some social media. Totally. And... Yeah, Valiant. Uh, you can hit at Valiant Comics on Twitter. I'm at your friend Andy mm-hmm. uh, if you're on Twitter. Um, Instagram, I believe it's uh, Valiant Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm your friend Andy again on that, if you mm-hmm. do that. And then Facebook, Valiant Comics. Perfect. Yeah. Well, excellent, man. Thanks for stopping by. It, it was it, totally well worth the wait. Thanks, man. And um, total inspiration for people who, who have had jobs like I've had and jobs like you've had. And, you know, I was one of those guys, too. I, I worked in comic book shops. I worked in video stores. I started my own video label. 
You know, I hit a point where I'm like, I kept recommending a title that I knew was going to make money to the company I worked for and they wouldn't listen. And I just licensed it and I set up my own shop. So, um, you know, it's, it's the DIY ethic. You have to do it. You got to do what you got to do. And I think that there are so many ways for people who really love the medium, who love fandom and, you know, it's bigger than comics. It's whatever you're into. It can be books. It can be writing. You know, if, if you're a voracious reader and, um, and you know, your way around the English language, it's very easy to become a copywriter. It's very easy to become an editor that, I mean, I read so much stuff that needs editors, you know, published books, professional stuff that really needs an editor. Um, I was contacted not too long ago. I won't, I won't say the company, but I did send out some, um, some information to people of a major company that were looking for a unit editor of a whole series of titles. And I sent that stuff out. I believe the, the position was filled by somebody that I sent to them, which is good. And I'll let them talk about it on a future show. Awesome. But uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to Pod Sequentialism. I am, of course, Matt Kennedy. Um, you've been, I've been talking with Andy Legal. Um, check out the Valiant titles. They're great stuff. And um, tune in again next week. I've got uh, some very unexpected guests planned, and we'll see if that pans out. Till next time. Hello, this is Matt Kennedy from Pod Sequentialism. And um, what many, many of you may know that I, I do run a gallery in Los Angeles called La Luz de Jesus Gallery. And what you may not know is that it's inside Wacko, which is probably the greatest center of pop culture in the world. And it may sound like hyperbole, it's not. Um, you can, if you don't want to trust my judgment, you can listen to people like Kevin Smith, uh, James Gunn, uh, David Mack, um, all of whom will swear that uh, one of their favorite places on earth is uh, Wacko, the shop that houses La Luz de Jesus Gallery. Um, whether it's blind box toys or little tchotchkes or art books, it pretty much is the place that you can get all of your Christmas shopping done for every possible annoying person to buy for that you can imagine. They've got everything, and I highly recommend that you visit them. You can visit them online at soapplant.com. You can visit the gallery at laluzdejesus.com, and that's spelled L-A-L-U-Z-D-E-J-E-S-U-S.com. Check them out and tell them Matt Kennedy sent you.